Hi, I'm Keegan Flegner. I'm 17 years old, and I live in Santa Monica, California. When I was in first grade, I was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. Since that time, sports have played a huge role in changing my life. So I want to show the world how all kinds of sports can help all kinds of people with all kinds of mental and emotional challenges. Welcome to Sports on the Spectrum. My guest today is Matt Steinhaus. Matt is currently in his ninth year as the athletic director at New Road School in Santa Monica, where he has also served as the varsity baseball head coach. Matt coached, umpired, and served on the board of directors of Santa Monica Little League for over 20 years. He has also coached for a summer travel baseball team that competed in seven foreign countries. And while in high school, Matt was a member of his school's water polo and swim teams. Please join me in welcoming Matt Steinhaus to Sports on the Spectrum. So Matt, I always like to start off my uh, interviews and episodes with my guests by starting from the very beginning, as I'd like to call it. And by that, I mean the beginning of your life. So my first question that I always start off of, and I always love asking this question too, by the way, because I think it speaks to the relevance of sports in people's lives is, what are your very first memories of sports? And by that, I don't mean just like playing sports. It can be anything, watching them or, you know, like in school, whatever, just sport in general. Yeah, no, uh, thank, hey, Keegan, thank you for having me. And that's that's a good starter for sure, because as my memories go, um, there's a sequence of things that I remember being a kid in the East Coast. And um, at the time we lived in New Jersey, the first sporting event I ever remember going to was around kindergarten. And I went to a high school football game. And the only reason we went is my, my teacher, Mrs. Shelton, her son was the star on the high school team uh, in East Windsor, New Jersey. And I just remember the guy was incredible. He was just and, and I knew nothing. I was five or whatever. And I remember meeting him after the game and being mesmerized because he was kind of the center of attention. But my, my real first memories of value that are that people can relate to are happened right around the time, just before I turned seven, living in, back in the East Coast. And first, I remember watching Hank Aaron's 715th home run. That was a nationally televised game. And I remember sitting on the floor in our house in New Jersey and watching it and, and understanding it because my dad being a very, very big sports guy which kind of then, you know, retrospectively blows my mind to think that I didn't go to a major league game until I was almost seven years old. And I, I have such distinct memories of my first experience because it, uh, it was a Mets Expos game, the, former, the old Montreal Expos. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Seaver pitched for the Mets. I remember the details of the game. They won 5 nothing. Tom Seaver pitched a complete game shutout. And a guy by the name of Rusty Staub homered. And um, that was set in 1974. And yeah, wow. I, I would have thought with my dad being the, the, the guy he was in sports, he might've taken me a game as a much littler kid, but, but I distinctly remember it was, it was uh, just before I turned seven years old and I've looked it up. I've actually, my, my, my memories are so vivid that when I found the details of the game, I was pretty spot on, very, very memorable, very exciting memory for me to think of my first experience at a pro uh, pro pro sports event, especially that baseball game. Yeah, no, it's actually kind of weird. You mentioned that normally I don't have guests who, their first memories are going or watching specific sporting games. But I think that proves a big point right there because ironically, I never actually thought about this until now. You know, obviously maybe this wasn't my first memory of sports, but it's among my most vivid at an early age of just going to professional games or just watching them on TV and all. And, you know, taking down all these little details that, you know, are so relevant now to me at least. Like I, I, I honestly um, still remember my first professional game that I went to. Ironically, it was also against the Mets, um, <laughs> but this one was at Dodger Stadium. And I just remember it was hot, hot, hot. That's all I remember. Wow. But, you know, it's like it's still a memory. And yeah. I still remember looking out on the field and it was huge. And I was like, what is this? You know, so. yeah, I can't remember any other game I went to early. I can't remember my first basketball, football, soccer, hockey game. I've been to them all. But that one, not only do I remember, I remember it very well that memory is, is is at the forefront you know so i don't need any don't need any triggers to bring that memory back so it's you remember hot i remember rusty Stobbs homer you know yeah what sticks what sticks I mean, sticks yeah no i mean i for me one of my earliest complete memories of watching sports is i remember i actually went to a clippers game when they were playing the new orleans hornets at home and i remember at the time, Chris Paul was still on the team, so they oh, were wow. really good, and the Clippers were really bad. But I remember it was a very <laughs> interesting game, and they and the Clippers came out on top in the end. Now, the direct details I don't remember, but I just remember that's kind of how it went and all. Yeah. Um, good and memory. I still actually have an old magazine that has um, 
that that was printed at the time and so it has that game marked in there still yeah so i, I always I love back that think about that and it's awesome and i guess I'll, I'll kind of build off of that a little bit and ask you a slightly more specific question in that regard which is when you were growing up what were some of your favorite pro or college or just whatever teams or players in general and why was that the case yeah uh, another good question you know i you know, I started out a big Mets fan because that's where we were. I didn't really know much from other sports in, in, in the East Coast. But once we settled in Northern California when I was eight, I immediately gravitated to all the Bay Area teams. Maybe not the 49ers so early because they were just the Raiders were the team. But I became such a big A's and Giants and Warriors fan. And um, I mean, literally like obsessed. You know, the games weren't on TV that frequently. And, you know, they were on TV plenty, but a lot of radio stuff. So my biggest memories, my favorite player, not just not just basketball, but my favorite professional athlete of all time is a little obscure. It's a guy who played for the Warriors back in the 70s and 80s named Purvis Short okay. and um, not a very well-known guy. He's a very good player. I mean, he had four 20 point per game seasons and um, and, you know, he scored 28 points a game. Michael Jordan's rookie year. But he he's, was an amazing influence on me because he was just one of the most graceful, gentlemanly people. So my favorite guy of all time is, is not a household name. He's household in the NBA because all the NBA players know him because he actually runs the um, – he's the director of player development for the Players Association. So every oh, guy okay. who goes to the NBA knows him well. Right. But I um, – he's the guy. I had so many favorites, but there's in, – in 40 years, nobody has surpassed him. Um, and then when I went to college, I was still a young guy, but I started at the University of Kansas, so I've always been a huge Kansas basketball fan, Kansas sports fan, but – um, the standout guy who's just, who stood the test of time is my all-time favorite is Purvis Short. And if you looked him up, you'd see how impressive he is as a player and as a, as an executive for the league, um, for the players association, but that's my guy. And, um, you know, that'll never change. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's weird too, for me, because I've always found I've gravitated not to necessarily the star guys or the guys everybody's going to remember for the rest of their lives, but more of those guys who, you know, they may not be household names, but they still do very important things. Like when they're on the court or on the field, like I'll give you an example. My favorite basketball player, at least um, for many years and probably still now, I guess, in a lot of ways is um, uh, DeAndre Jordan when he played for the Clippers for many years. Like right now in a pile of jerseys behind me, like I, at least like 80 percent of those jerseys are DeAndre Jordan jerseys. Like you'd be shocked, actually, how many of them great. there are likable great player i remember him when he was a freshman uh, in the big 12 and uh you know no he's a great clipper that's a good one yeah no that's a good one yeah but i just i gravitated to him and didn't let go and even then i still look at him in a in a nice way so it's like it it, yeah. it goes to show that that it's not necessarily those guys who do the stuff like pouring in the 50 points or whatever or you know getting the 20 rebounds it's like there's so many other ways you can leave an impact oh, yeah. on, on somebody's uh, life as a fan um, or on the Very sport true. in general. So I guess now I'll um, uh, continue on a little bit and go back to you as a young kid and you specifically in the sense that, well, I mentioned earlier, while you were in high school, you were a member of your school's water polo and swim teams. And my question is whether it was from those sports or just any other sport you played at, the, at that time, um, what were some of your proudest or favorite moments when playing those sports? Those that that's a that's an extremely good question, too. And it's funny because, um, you know, swimming and water polo, I evolved as a pretty good swimmer. And I grew up in an area in Northern California where swimming was was very competitive. And the high school yeah. I went to had one of the best water polo teams in the state. I only played JV. Then we moved to Missouri. And as a water polo player, I was if, if I didn't start. I was I scored two career goals and he won in each of my last two games. Certainly my goal scoring career is memorable because, it, you know, the first game I ever scored a goal. I also got my nose broken. A guy elbowed me right oh. in the bridge of my nose um, and I scored later purely out of fury. Just I was playing so angry that I got my first career goal in my second to last game. Then I got my second career goal in my last game. Um, but, you know, a memory that's, that stands out for me was that when we lived in Missouri, we, we moved from Northern California to St. Louis, then to LA. And I was a junior and senior in high school. I was on a, a recreational basketball team and um, I had to be a player coach one day. We were bad. We were terrible. Oh, wow. And, and um, I, I guess my dad might've been one of the coaches, but there was one game where, where, where the end of the season, we didn't have a coach. 
and as a 17 year old senior on this rec team, I, I was the player coach mm-hmm. and um, we, we won a game that we shouldn't have won. And I was always really proud of, of having no basketball coaching experience. I mean, I'm a baseball coach by trade right. now. Um, and I coached soccer when I was at UC Santa Barbara, I coached um, boys and girls club soccer in Goleta. And that was very rewarding, but it's always funny to think about as a young athlete that I actually had the opportunity to be a player coach in this weird youth league in St. Louis, because there was no adults to coach the team. That wouldn't happen today. Right. Um, and I certainly wasn't any type of, you know, I'm, I was no John Wooden or Greg Popovich by any stretch, but we actually won a game where we were heavily the, the underdog. And I was, I was, I was, I always thought I was very fair. Like I didn't say, Hey, I'm not coming out, but that's a weird memory for a kid to be a player coach in a, in a youth right. league. Um, and uh, it's a real story too. It's hilarious, but I don't even know how it happened, but I guess no adults wanted to step up. So they just, they just, we'd show up and I coached and it's a different era, but that's a funny memory that stands out with a lot of my youth memories for some reason, that one, cause it's the convergence of playing and coaching, which that's the only time that ever happened. So, um, you know, however that played out, that's, that's a memory that's stuck in my head. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally find that as weird as it sounds, those kinds of moments, whether they may have been the most like, like to other people, they meant they were the most fulfilling. It's like that, that may have been to them, but it, that doesn't mean it's any more fulfilling to you. It's like, it's no, these right. kinds, it's these kinds of moments that, can it really make the difference in the end? By the way, I'd like to point out um, that right there is probably a perfect example of uh, what Bill Russell did when he was with the Celtics, just in a slightly lesser version. No um, I love being compared to Bill Russell. I mean, you know, he went to University, University of San Francisco. I, I grew up east of San right. Francisco. My game and my memory was a very DeAndre Jordan-like game because I probably had about, I was a very good rebounder, even as a guard, and I probably missed almost all my free throws. So <laughs> there's a good chance that that my performance that day resembled your favorite guy because I couldn't make free throws and I could get a lot of rebounds. So yeah, there you go. Well, you know, it's like everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. So it's like and I appreciate appreciate the Bill Russell parallel. Oh yeah, no, I yeah. I always uh, I love it. He's one of my favorite players of all time. So I always love getting to reference him when I have the chance, um, especially because yeah. he played for my other favorite team, which is the Celtics. So it's okay. Like, yeah, um, I love Bill Russell. Yeah. Yeah. No, who doesn't honestly, but uh, anyway, um, I guess moving on, um, I'll focus. It, it's actually interesting. You mentioned one of your favorite memories being as a coach instead of just a player, because my next question is in addition to being an athlete, you've been a coach, obviously both then and obviously now. And I guess I would ask, you know, can you just talk about what your coaching experience is like, and just maybe some of your, also some of your favorite moments from that experience too, specifically. Absolutely. And they're, they're deep. Um, I mean, there's these glaring moments that are just embedded because they'll never go away. And, and, um, you know, uh, doing that, that youth soccer, when I was in Santa Barbara, we went to a championship game and we were not, we lost, but that was my first real actual coaching experience while I was a student at UCSB, you know, but when I got into little league, the rewards of coaching were, were endless. I think the highlight was in 2006 when we won, um, district, and then we went halfway to Williamsport. We went all the way to the section oh, wow. finals. Nice. But the most, the moment that was really kind of what made it stand out is we won district on our home field at Memorial Park in Santa Monica on a walk-off grand slam by Lucas Giolito. Oh, who of wow. Of course now is pitching for the White Sox. And right. Lucas came up and, and hit a, you know, it was tied two. And we, we scored a run in the bottom of the sixth. And we hadn't lost. So it wasn't an elimination game for us. We were in the winner's bracket. But Lucas came up with the bases loaded, one out, and hit one onto Olympic Boulevard. And of course we know where he is now he's pitching the bigs, um, you know, and my, my coaching experience in new roads, my first year coaching baseball in 2012, we went to the CIF uh, semifinals for division seven. We're one pitch away from the championship game and had this heartbreaking loss where second baseman made an error. Then our pitcher gave up a hit to a guy who was over two and our top pitcher. And that memory on the flip side of Lucas's grand slam and winning district is one. These two memories are absolute, Right. You know, they're, they they conflict because one of them is like just glorious. And the other one, it's the what ifs come in. Like I, right. I, as a coach, you never get over those moments because you think about what you could have done differently. And yeah. I think New Roads would have been a we, we had, would have had an advantage in the in the, in the championship game because we had a pitching advantage over the team. We would have been playing and a team we lost. Uh, we lost who won it. So I always look back at that moment going, wow, it's so memorable. And, 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 and you know, it's right at the forefront of my brain. And it's not a great memory, but it's real. And it's, you know, we were resilient, but it was, 
those are the contrasting baseball coaching memories of, of how, you know, the euphoria of Lucas's grand slam winning district. And then the devastation of getting eliminated in the 2012 CIF playoffs. So there's the range of, of, of experience I can talk about. Yeah, no. And I'm, I'm actually really happy you did that actually, because I think it really speaks to the fact that, you know, as great as enjoyable our sports are, that doesn't mean there's still heartbreak involved with it, you know? And I guess that's what makes them so good. Once again, it's like the fact that they allow you to experience both joy and heartbreak at the same time so easily. And so quickly, it's like, it can teach you a whole lot in just such a short period of time. So that's a great point. That's exactly true. You get the full range of emotion range. It's a full mm-hmm. range. It's something I've had a lot of experience with. You know, I've had plenty of moments where I felt like I was on the top of the world and then plenty of moments where I felt like I was on the bottom. So it's yeah. like, as a result, I can totally yeah. understand where you're coming from with that. So thank you. Well, of course. Um, but anyway, I guess I'll move on and kind of talk a little bit more about your experience at New Road specifically. But before I do that, I'd like to give a shout out to one of our sponsors. Do you own a classic Mustang, Corvette, Camaro, or Chevelle from the 1960s or 70s? Does the clock in your dash keep accurate time? Do you want to get a new clock for your car, but you don't want to pay $200, $300, or even $500 for a new clock? Well, then go to impactautopartsstore.com for a brand new quartz clock that looks identical to the original and is powered by a single AA battery. All at prices less than half that of a restored clock or a reproduction. Go to the website, impactautopartsstore.com and keep on cruising. And so now I want to focus, like I said earlier, about your time at New Road specifically, which is ongoing, I might add. Um, But first, I'll actually start by asking kind of a very general question, somewhat related to, um, to New Roads, but also not. But this is something I guess that I just ask everybody. And it's because I think it's a really good question, um, as I'm sure you'll agree. And that's when you hear the term mental health, what pops into your head? And what does it mean to you? Well, I mean, well, the first thing that pops into my, my, my mind is that it's, it's just so prevalent. Um, it's, it's amazing how you're never more than a degree or two away from, from s- somebody who is affected by it. Um, and we see it all the time. We see families, we see kids, you know, whether it's depression, whether it's, you know, I mean, we've seen it all eating disorders, um, anything, you know, obviously, you know, I'm closely connected to the spectrum program that they have at new roads, but in terms of mental health, what I, I generally think is that it's, it's something you have to always be, um, aware of because it's, it's, um, you know, it's such a common event and it's, it's, it's not a stigma. So I, I think in my mind, it's, it's just always an awareness that, that, you want to you want to work with people understanding that they might have might have you know something in the way they're processing that's affected by you know things that people can't relate to um you know so i equate it very closely to physical you know physical health because both are equally important but one is just not understood the mental health thing is generally dismissed by people um because it's not as tangible but it's real and um i see it all the time Absolutely. And, you know, I'll I'll remind you, this is a question I've asked a lot of people and I've gotten a lot of different responses from, but I will say your answer is definitely very unique in the sense that you point out, it's like people aren't always aware that this exists and that it's very important too, you know, because it's like you, you said, you mentioned physical health is something everybody's conscious of, like they don't want to be fat. They want to be strong, you know, whatever. But it's like when it comes to mental health, they're like, yeah, I don't care whether I'm happy or sad. I just want to, you know, do this or do that. And if I'm whatever, I'm whatever, you know, it's like I shouldn't care about that stuff. But the fact of the matter is it really is important. And, you know, I've come to learn that very much so over the course of my life, which is granted short, but still full of meaning, I feel. And at the same time, I've learned that it's important not to uh, to not let your basically your own feelings get in the way of being aware of what other people are going through too, especially in sports, because it's Mm -hmm. like, especially when playing team sports too, it's like, you got to understand people go through stuff and it's like, they, they do things that affect their performance. And if you aren't willing to accept that, you know, you're not really then being a good teammate and you know, it's just, it's something you gotta try your best to be aware of a lot of the time. And I know it's not always easy, but it's important. Um, yeah. 
Um, and I guess um, I'll kind of build off of that a little and ask that, you know, throughout your career, you mentioned you've interacted with a lot of these people who deal with these types of challenges um, at a school, no less, where it's like this kind of stuff comes up a lot because they have a program that you said you're involved in that deals with people uh, on the spectrum and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I'll, I'll first ask here and then I'll ask you a follow up later in, in relation to this. First, can you explain what that program is specifically and what it tries to accomplish and how it does it, by the way? Yeah, um, the Spectrum Program at New Roads, which is, is basically a program for not just, you know, entirely for, for anybody who's been diagnosed somewhere on the, on the autism or Asperger's, you know, spectrum, but it's for, you know, ADHD, it's for, it's for kids with maybe anxiety. And the, the purpose of it is, is, is to create, um, you know, a very, very organic connection. You know, when I was a kid, they didn't have programs like that. So there was fellow students of mine that you figured would have been diagnosed with ADHD or something, but those diagnoses weren't open and, and it wasn't really, there weren't, it was, it was different. If the world was different now, new roads has set it up so that it's, it's not, you know, it, this whole program is designed to integrate every kid with every kid. And the spectrum program gives time with the kids on a daily basis to work on among other things like executive functioning, like, you know, organization, socializing, you know, these, these areas, you know, when obviously I've learned and working closely and I've had, I've had multiple kids from the spectrum program play for me directly and countless others in the athletic program that I had to be aware of because the coaches need to be briefed. Um, but the purpose of the program really is to make sure that there is, is a, there's no, there's no disconnect between the kids that are in school that might need the additional attention that the spectrum programs offers and those, you know, those neuro neurotypical kids that also don't necessarily understand the other kids, but they, they work together, their teammates together, their classmates together. I think it's just, it just does a good job preparing kids for, you know, they go to college and they may not have the same resources to, 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 you know, it, it's, it's a preparatory tool, but the executive, um, a functioning piece of organizational stuff. And it's, it's, it's so critical because these kids learn so much about being ready to be independent without any guidance. And um, it's, it's a pretty incredible program. Yeah, no, absolutely. It sounds like one. And I know it is one too, especially because not a lot of people know this, but when I decided to transfer to a different high school in the middle of my sophomore year, new roads was actually one of the schools I considered. And the reason was because I, both me and my parents, we saw that, program that you just talked about is something that could be very helpful for me going forward because part of the reason I, I decided to transfer because I was struggling both part of because of my autism and because I needed a space in which I could allow myself to build up what I was good at and also just uh, what I needed to get better at and I felt like New Roads was a potential place to do that now obviously we know how things worked out um, it, and it was no offense to you obviously you're you were a great pick you know, and if I didn't have a better choice, I would have, uh, I would have gone for you guys, but I still think at the same time, what you just described, it's just really important for all, for both me and any other kid who goes through something like that, because they, yeah. because I've been lucky too, in the sense that even before I decided to, to transfer to schools, I had the privilege of having those kinds of resources at my disposal, um, in my earlier years, whether it was in elementary school or middle school or whatever, um, and as a result, I was able to get a lot more out of myself than maybe I would have thought I could. And I think that basically yeah. New Roads being able to keep building on that kind of thing for all these other kids who go through this kind of stuff, I think that's really important. So, and, and I would ask you, I mean, do you feel as though the transition out of SAMO, where you ended up, did you feel that that was, um, I mean, as you prepare for college, did you feel that the transition literally I mean, did you see an exponential change? I mean, because I would have loved to have seen you in New Roads. I, you would have been an asset right away. And it's a contentious process to get into that program. But I know, I know the, ultimately the, the route you went and you obviously you're, you're, you're pleased with how that pathway, yes? Absolutely. I consider, I, I, I say this every day, I consider it one of the best decisions of my life. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, I, I will say, you know, as nervous as I was to make that choice, and I will happily admit I was, I still consider that one of the, the best things I ever did. So yeah. at the same time, as much as I 
hate how I can't be with you guys. I don't feel any regret of where I am now. So, well, that's, that's, you know, that's essential. Yes. Eliminating regret. So that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah, no. And I feel very happy about that. So that's great. I guess I um, would continue on now and ask you um, specifically more um, about you as a, as a sports coach and as mm-hmm. an athletic director and say, I would imagine, obviously, because of that, you've had to deal with athletes or, or their parents as since you're in high school um, that have confided about these challenges they deal with, especially at a place like new roads, like for obvious reasons I mentioned earlier. And sometimes they will be open about that, but other times maybe not. And I guess what I'll ask here is you don't have to reveal anything confidential. We're not, that's not the goal here. How often do you think athletes come to you on their behalf or their parents, you know, whatever, anybody and share this stuff with you and, what do they share basically and how much, you know, and maybe actually why too. I think that's really important. Yeah. And that's a, a really good question. You know, more often than not dealing at the level I have, whether it's been little league or whether it's been in new roads, the frequency that I've seen in which, in which students represent uh, these, these types of things on their own is, is far fewer than when I get it from a parent or from an administrator who oversees a program like the spectrum program, a lot of the interaction, I'll, I'll, I'll engage with kids all the time, um, but certainly I've had kids confide. If you t- talk about, you know, in the areas of mental health, there's been kids who've come in distraught over things. And it's clear that, that things going on with them are, are deeply emotional and, and that's serious. And, you know, we have we have methods in which we, we handle that um, depending on the severity, because there's been a range of obviously not being specific, but being very general. But so frequently um, on matters, especially say, you know, we've, we've had moments where we've, we've taken uh, information from parents where it's just like, you know, my, my, my son's not, not able to follow what's going on in swim practice. You know, my son's, you know, Asperger's and can't, every time the coach says you have to leave on this part of the clock, my, my son can't do clocks. That's just not, that's one of the things. So, you know, there's a lot of intervention to make the coaches and ourselves understand, but it, it happens frequently and the range is incredible from deeply emotional things, which is far more likely sometimes to a kid that trusts me to come and talk about, because that's sometimes the safest place to go. A lot of these kids don't even start some of their deepest stuff with their parents. Their parents know things are going on. Um, but I've, especially at new roads, I feel like I've created a space where kids could always come safely. And generally I got to redirect it. I got to make them feel safe going to the right person. Um, it's, it's not infrequent. And depending on what it is, you know, it's, it's far often that, that a parent will represent on behalf of their kid, uh, behalf of their child, and we'll, we'll take it from there. But it's, it's a common event because kids are going through a lot. And, um, you know, obviously all these things are, are prevalent. So it happens frequently. Yeah, no, I, I know for me, um, it happened for me frequently, frequently in the sense that my parents would often vouch for me in the sense that they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be afraid to tell my coaches or my teachers or whatever that I deal with this, these, the struggles that come with having autism. And just, you know, as a result, they tell me, Hey, Keegan, you know, he has trouble focusing. Sometimes he needs to pay. Sometimes he needs to take a step outside. These things happen. And yeah. it's just like having the capacity to share that stuff, I think makes a huge difference. It certainly did for me, you know, cause just knowing that my coaches understood me in that sense it made me feel all the more safer and allowed me to perform better too. I think because knowing I had nothing to hide, it made me feel like I could be the best version of myself and do the best I could for my team or whatever it was. And I guess I'll ask you now as sort of a quick follow up. um, Mm -hmm. Were there moments and I'm sure there were where um, you came across athletes who hadn't revealed anything where you thought maybe they were, they were not hiding, but it's like they were afraid to reveal the fact that they were dealing with something uh, related to being on the spectrum, like they had ADHD or bi- were bipolar or dealing with anxiety, depression, whatever. And I guess I'll ask, you know, were there any that stuck out to you or made a specific impression? And um, I guess I would also ask, why do you think they were more hesitant to reveal that kind of thing? Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, there was, there was one very specific case that always jumps to my mind where a, a young a student uh, entered high school having spent, you know, he lived in, 
he was born in Japan, came to California, went back to Japan, and he was diagnosed with Asperger's and um, he was in denial. His parents were in denial. He entered the Spectrum program. It didn't last long because he couldn't, he regarded it. His biggest challenge was he couldn't accept that he was, right. he couldn't, re- he, his, to him, it was a stigma. To him, it was a disability. And no matter how much we all collaborated to make him understand that he couldn't survive in the program, I think the discovery for him, admittedly, you know, even thinking about your last question, when parents come to you, sometimes there's a real collaborative approach where the parents are like, hey, let's work on this together. Other times the parents are just thinking like they just have to find an advantage for their child. And if you give them that, you're actually just doing a disservice because that's not the way life's going to be. Not everybody's going to roll out the red carpet because they understand there's an accommodation required, you know, in, in academics that's there. But I think that there's been so many cases. And if you talk about whether it's autism or, or Asperger's, there's been young people that have been very forthright and they said, hey, this is, you know, this is what I need. Um, had another baseball player who was very, when he was diagnosed at three, that became the centerpiece of his, of his whole, of his presentation. He was aware of it. He spoke openly about it. Um, and then I've had kids that, that different things, you know, you talk about something like you mentioned bipolar disorder, you know, that's something where some kids share that. And then you realize that you have kids confide in you that, you know, you have to monitor, help them monitor their, their medication, you know, whether it's a mood stabilizer, whether it's an antidepressant, there's cases where parents are telling you, Hey, you know, my, my member, my, my son is, got to stay on that, you know, you'll know if they didn't get on there, this one, you know, you know, you know, with the, with the whole setup with bipolar disorder, you know, it's, it's, it's um, the manic depressive piece. So I was very connected to the idea that each of these things, but there were kids that just never wanted to talk about it. They tried to, they tried to actually live as if that wasn't the case. And then they started suppressing some of the things they needed to do to keep it under control, like, like medication. Um, yeah. But I've had the far range of kids who who were you know who um, who were on the um, you know the autism spectrum, where some just were in denial and some were just this is me, and mm-hmm. they wanted it to be they wanted to be a um, kind of a, a trailblazer or a champion for the idea of what they were doing was great for other kids to follow. So I've seen I've seen the full range. Right. Yeah. No. Again. Once again, going great into question. yeah, talking about the full range allows you to have all of a better insight into just how to deal with it in a way that think you think is best for that person or even for yourself. You know, I, yeah. I know that's always been an interesting part of me that, you know, I've of how I've always looked at people, not differently, but it's like with a new perspective, if I know they're going through something, or even if I just suspect they're going through something. And then depending on whether they're open about that or not, it allows me to consider even more what maybe makes them them basically. Yeah. And it allows yeah. me to, to interact with them in more productive and just better ways overall. I think that's I a get- great point. I think it's a terrific point, by the way, because no matter what any, you know, a diagnosis can be in common between two or three people, but they're, they're all dramatic. Everybody just as, as any personality, there's no, there's no common experience and there's everybody's personality combined with what they're going through. So I think that's a terrific point. Thank you. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, you consider the phrase, you take things for granted. I think that's something we do all too often, myself included. I know it's oh, something yeah. that's in a lot of ways unavoidable, but I think just trying a little harder sometimes to not take things for granted in different ways, obviously, it depends yeah. on what the situation is. But if you can do that, it makes life so much more both easier and just enjoyable and insightful. It's, it's like the list goes on and on. But I guess Very what true. I'll ask now, um, kind of focusing a little more on both those who were open and those who weren't open about if they were dealing with a challenge uh, in regards to their mental or emotional health. Um, Mm -hmm. When you interacted with those people um, specifically on the playing field, um, but even off, if you want to go off, if you think that's important, um, did you ever make adjustments in how you interacted with them, whether it's how you communicated with them or how you treated them or whatever, like to make them better, I guess, is what I'm asking here. Um, you know, that's a, that's a very good question. Certainly. I mean, the bottom line is, is when you're coaching, when you're teaching, when you're, when you're embedded education, you're kind of conditioned to make adjustments across the board. I mean, obviously there's this thought in, in coaching in particular, I regard it and I've used this, this analogy with, with parents to make it like a language, 
you know, you can't expect, you know, the native language of coaching is what the coach is saying. However, the adjustments happen. Um, and, and that's kind of the level playing field of what I think is great about the idea that you don't, you know, I look at kids and I, I understand that, that, you know, you know, I I've understood like, for instance, this one same kid I referenced to was diagnosed at three or four and he was very open. It was made clear to me that, you know, eye contact was, was a challenge for him. So, mm. you know, the one thing I, I always did with him was I would address him and, and clarify that he heard the instruction when I was told that don't suspect for one second, but if you're not sure, ask him to, to repeat it. Um, and he embraced that. He wanted that because he always felt as though while the eye contact piece was, was um, obviously because of, 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 his, of what, you know, he had, it wasn't natural. It didn't automatically create the idea that he wasn't attentive, but he had told me, go ahead and just ask me to say it back to you if you're wondering. And he was okay with that. Other people would get, you know, aggravated if you took the, Hey, you know, you know, you knew that, that they might be straying if it's ADHD and you get a sense that they might be tuning you out, you asked for a confirmation, but Frequently, I would I would make that a part of my coaching vernacular with every kid, because no matter who the kid is, you always get a sense that they're going to tune you out. You're a coach. You're talking. We try to limit the amount of, of verbal stuff anyway. want to keep kids more physically engaged no matter who they are. But I, I started to normalize that approach because I felt whether a kid was in the spectrum program or I knew of a diagnosis or whether I didn't, I got the sense that they could be tuning me out no matter who they were. So yeah. I started to normalize the idea. What I just say, you know, just say that back to me once. And a lot of that was on the cue from the one kid who said, I'm okay with you making me do that. That way you'll know that if I'm looking away, you can clarify as to whether or not I was not paying attention or whether it was just because, you know, I don't do the eye contact thing. But that was very intriguing. So of course you, you, you modify, you do special things um, and you take into account each individual story um, because every, everyone is different. And um, like I told you, we had to really reset a program in our swim team. And, and I, I was assistant coach for swimming for several years at New Ed's. I put myself on the coaching staff. I swam as a, as a kid and our head coach needed help, but identifying mm -hmm. we had multiple kids within the spectrum program that didn't do well with the timing. It right. just, you know, okay, you're going at this time. So you'd have to cue them up, you know, right. okay, you know, boom, go now. And right. they needed that verbal cue because right. watching the clock was not going to happen. It was just one of those things. So of course you modify and, you, you want to do a lot of discovery to find out what the needs are because you don't want to yeah. do things you don't have to do. You don't want to enable, but um, there's an interesting dynamic to that, which makes that a really, really good question. Um, and not an easy answer because it's, you know, yeah. it's an imperfect thing. I've made my mistakes and trying to make sure I can, I can deliver messaging that sometimes, okay, that, that didn't need to be said. Don't overdo it. Right. You know? Absolutely. I mean, and going back to your story about the kid, I have plenty of experience in that same aspect of how, I struggle with eye contact. And so one of the things I use kind of as a way to make me feel less conscious about it is, you know, I'll tell people it's like, hey, you know, if you need me to repeat or confirm that I heard what you said, you know, just do it. It makes me feel all the more comfortable, honestly, because then I feel like I'm, I'm there with you too in the moment and you're with me. So it's like, as a result, I... Well, like you said, obviously it turns a lot of people off. It's like, because I'm, you know, atypical, it's like, you know, it's like, I, I don't have that same reaction. And so as a result, don't be afraid to do something out of the ordinary with me, you know, cause I won't get upset. It's like, I'm used to it. And yeah. I guess um, what I'll ask you now is kind of a, a closer to this part of the conversation is that because of all this experience that we just talked about where you've interacted with these types of people and these kids, um, what advice might you have for other coaches like you um, to better support athletes who are dealing with these types of issues? What's your kind of um, pep talk for those, those kinds of coaches? Yeah, it's a good question because these are pep talks I've had to have. We know when you're, right. when you're an administrator and you have to be responsible for the awareness, the training, um, you know, the delivery of every coach, no matter what they do at any given moment, even if they blow it and it's, you could have told them a hundred times in the end, accountability is on the person who they answer to. And, and it's, there's been a lot of counsel. A lot of it has been, I need the coaches to be particularly attentive to what the, what messaging the kids are saying that are nonverbal. 
um, you know, they're there. And I also need them to be ready. One of my number one things with any coach who works for me, the top to bottom. And I've, I've had this with one coach in particular is remarkable. She's in education too. And she's picked up on so many little details is that I need any time a coach gets to sense Mm-hmm. that one of their student athletes is disconnecting or there's a concern to go ahead and run the interference to me so I can get ahead of it. I can speak to my resources. You know, right. is this kid, is there anything going on I don't know about? There's a kid who recently we found out, you know, who's within the, the New Roads uh, Spectrum program and added to it was the fact that, you know, this kid's 16 years old, parents are going through a divorce. So you throw that mm-hmm. emotional piece in, you know, with a deep connection to mom and dad and the family's being broken up. So I've always told my coaches, pay attention to as many cues. They know what kids, coaches know a lot about the kids. And then there's some things they they don't know because it's it's just private enough that people want to keep it to themselves. But the big thing for me is my coaches, they have a relationship with the young people to pay attention. And anything that they think is unusual, they can ask the question of the kid. Don't leave it at that. They might tell you something, come to me. I'll do my diligence internally to find out, hey, this was brought up. There was a problem. You know, there was a meltdown. These two were fighting. Right. Is there a history there? What's going on? Is there? And that's how I found out this one kid was going through, you know, the family situation with mom and dad splitting up a very close family. I was surprised to hear that. So right. I asked the coaches to really pay attention and then to make sure they, if they're going to communicate with the student athletes, that has to happen. Right. If it's not working, they got to bring it to me. So I can make sure that first and foremost, I'm a resource for them. And second, I can go to my resources and say, let's, let's, pool or, you know, tell me what I need to do and how I can help to make sure we can, we can, um, we can address what's going on. So that's one of the biggest pieces for me is that whole community default to telling me what it could be nothing, right? Always default to making sure I know. And we've had coaches that have identified things, fixed them, handled them. This one coach I talked about in particular, she's fantastic. And I mean, she noticed, she picked up, you know, that one of the kids in her team was cutting. And she picked up, she identified that how this person was covering and she reported it and it was a real, it was real. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah, just, I just tell them, pay attention and tell me what's going on. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's, it's interesting too, because I have experience with stuff at home that, you know, has kept me distract, distracted or occupied. Like, cause my own parents are divorced. They've been divorced for years. It's like, I, I live a different lifestyle than most people. It's like, these things have an impact on, you know, my, my emotional health sometimes. Now I'm not going to say it's something I, I use to keep me back, but at the same time it exists. And for a lot of other people, they have their own issues and challenges. So as yeah. a result, if, and when you can gain a, just a little more perspective on what your, your, your kids or your athletes are dealing with, that's causing them maybe occasionally or often, whatever, to be less helpful or be less, you know, whatever to your team or yeah. your yourself. It's like it can it can be useful to 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 know what it is they're dealing with to maybe know how you can help them get out of that or just adapt to it, you know. Because I think Absolutely. Um, there are so many way, different ways to approach this that can have all the difference in the world, even if it does not yeah. seem like that way. At a, at a glance. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I guess I'll um, kind of go into the final part of the interview here and ask you some of what I consider to be the most important and just most insightful questions that I happen to ask everybody too, because they're so important. But before I, I start, I'll give a shout out to another one of our sponsors. Are you looking to boost your SAT score by at least 360 points? Whether your goal is the SAT, ACT, AP classes, or general test preparation, turn to Sam's Tutoring Company. Sam is a Caltech-educated tutor with over 17 years of experience teaching over 700 students of all ages. Whether you want to learn in person or remotely, Sam is ready to help you accomplish your academic goals. Call Sam's Tutoring Company. If you mention the promo code SPORTSPECTRUM, you'll receive 25% off the price of your first session. And so now I'll start start by... um, um first talking about um why i started this now i've said this no, numerous times but i'll say it again because i think it really matters to the question i'm about to ask you is one of the reasons i started this podcast was because sports had a very positive role in uh aiding me with dealing with my autism because uh they gave me a space in which i could you know be myself you know let my emotions out it's like and people would take take it in maybe not always in the best way possible but it would be easier 
for me to adapt on the fly, basically, to let them um, deal with it in a more easier way or whatever, and just have more fun doing it too. Um, and so because of that overall experience, I wanted to give back by um, both letting my story and the story of others um, be told to help all those other you know, young, both young and old athletes who might be struggling with these similar types of conditions yeah. and just know that it's okay to talk about them too. I think that's probably the, one of the biggest things that holds people back and can have yeah. a negative impact on them is their just hesitancy or plain refusal to talk about them. I and I also think critical. Yeah. yeah, no. And I, and I also think that, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of um, pro professional athletes today, like Kevin Love, Michael Phelps, and Paul George, just to name a few, um, start to do this as well. And I think that's having a very positive impact on, you know, the sports community as a whole, you know, it's like, it's, it's opening up all these different eyes to um, what's happening and what can be done to address it. And I guess now finally asking the question, based on your experience as both an athlete and a coach, do you believe that there's a greater opportunity specifically now to further deepen the conversation about mental and emotional health in sports? Um, absolutely. And I think that's always existed. And I think especially now, and the opportunity is deepened because I think it's just becoming more aware that the stress, the stress points of people are that much greater and it spills into what they're doing, everything they're doing. We see it in every walk of life. We have kids getting emotional in class, kids getting emotional, you know, in their music classes, whatever. But the opportunity is there because what's happening is that there's a deeper understanding that the pressure points on young people is, is at the highest level. And, and, and it's becoming more understood and more accepted that what kids are going through, whether, you know, whether there's, it, it's, it's a mental illness or whether it's that they are somewhere, um, you know, on the, on the, uh, on the, with autism or Asperger's or whatever, is that it's becoming far more recognizable to have to address that. So the opportunities there, the resources are there, and I do, th and because of that, I think it's become a, a bigger piece of the way we engage with our student athletes. Because um, you know, obviously, there's also the idea. I've had this conversation with the parents several times. One parent is how critical it is to the physical activity is so critical to stimulate this one particular student it's for everybody so I think the opportunity is there more than ever because people seem more ready to talk about it be more open because they've made it more more common and less of a, a taboo thing you know when I was a kid people didn't talk about stuff and there's yeah. still cultures that don't that's why when I had the one kid who moved here from Japan the family never told him they knew mm -hmm. They, they knew, but they didn't want to reveal it to him because they felt it was a recognizable stigma. So I think the opportunity now is far greater because people now understand that this is, this is real, it's prevalent, and um, you can't put anybody, young person, at a disadvantage by, by missing, missing a chance to, to create the space to learn and grow. Absolutely. You know, you really had me there because it's like, you know, hearing you speak, I, I, I draw so many comparisons to what you say. And the other thing too, is I just, the because what's interesting too about having autism, it's like when you take in information and you like, you immediately turn it into something com both maybe unrelated, but it's like, it, it, it takes such a bigger picture all of a sudden, like you start thinking about, oh, we can do this. Oh, we can do that. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's that. It just, it comes all together. And the fact of the matter is, you know, like you said, there are still cultures that don't talk about this, but that now people are being more open than ever. It's like, it almost feels like the world is suddenly becoming a much smaller place because people are now starting to realize we're a lot similar than maybe we thought we were in the first place. Yeah. 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 No, that's a great point. And by the way, to further the whole opportunity piece is now because of, you know, I mean, the ability to communicate that's not direct. You know, when I was a kid, you, you, there was no social media, smartphones, right. the internet. So now the opportunity for people to find support in safe places creates a comfort level that opens everybody up to where, okay, I'm not alone. This isn't right. abnormal. And you said atypical earlier and, and yes, atypical, but you know, there's also a typical element to, to it too. So by people being more aware and open, it creates opportunity to make it topical which means it's, you can use it, um, use that approach. It's uh, the opportunistic piece to that is, is yeah. far more available to, to us as educators than ever before. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if I'm, 
if I'm being completely honest, you know, the, the ultimate goal in all this is to turn this whole kind of thing that we're talking about from becoming atypical to typical. It's yeah. like, that's all it is. Like, if the, I'll be honest, if this was typical, I wouldn't be having this conversation because it's like, right. everybody talks about it. But the fact of the matter is, there's so well, not so few, but it's like, there's not enough people who talk about this, that I feel it's important to make more people get get more people to talk about this. It's it's yeah. like, it's, it's that simple. It's so, very true. It's very yeah. true. Yeah, um, that's a great point. Absolutely. And, and I guess um, what I'll ask is kind of a little buildup from what I just asked you earlier, which is that, um, you know, again, based off your experience, you know, as an athlete, as a coach, is there a role that youth sports organizations specifically, or schools like New Roads, for example, can and should play in supporting young athletes to talk about these issues specifically? Absolutely. Um, and we try to create that. And we try to create that in every avenue we go down because the bottom line is, is that, is that it's, it's a common place for kids. I mean, um, your teammate is your teammate first. Right. And in understanding and building things like team chemistry, it's dependent on the idea that you want to use that platform to make kids understand each other. You know, back in the day, 20 plus years ago, I had, I had a kid um, play for me on, on the major Indians in Santa Monica little league. That was, I mean, extremely atypical. Um, mm -hmm. And we had moments where his, his dad was kind of a hippie. Mom and dad were not together. It was a very acrimonious split. And there were times when they didn't communicate and, and this kid would show up and he was a very great kid. And it was clear that, that his teammates did not understand. Um, but we worked around it. And this mm -hmm. was before even the opportunity to leverage the resources we have now. I think it's critical right now to use this platform because it's a common space for kids that they all relate to. Um, you know, so when I think back to those experiences and having a kid that was I mean, no joke. I had this kid was so ADHD. He would, I mean, he went into the, into the equipment area on Memorial park. It came out with a cone of chalk on his head um, <laughs> because he just, I mean, it's a real story. And his dad was like, Oh, you know, it was one of those things and his teammates worked to understand it. And there's a range of understanding, but I think the space of athletics is so important because you have building a team around connecting all the pieces of how personalities and how, you know, behavioral science stuff is different, is critical. So you, you build those bridges by making the kids understand and respect each other. Um, and if you can do it in athletics, it's probably one of the, one of the most natural places to do it because they're all working for the same common goal. And in order to do that, you have to understand each other. So to do that, you make them work to understand how different they are. So I think whether at New Roads or whether all my little league coaching anywhere I've gone, you know, you want to bridge the gap because, Kids are different regardless of, of whether it's, you know, atypical or typical. You work to bring them together because as a team, the best way they can get something done is to fully get an understanding of what each other's about. And, um, you know, you work with what you can. If kids are open to it, sometimes I've had parents say, you can't reveal anything, right. in which case you're really guarded. But in most cases now, parents want you to know and they want you to work with other kids so that they can help you know, create a synergy between kids that are, that are so, you know, so different, um, you know, you know, in terms of whatever, but it's a very good question. Thank you. You're welcome. And it, it's, it's really interesting that part you mentioned right there about how you think sports is, and just athletics is a, is a place where this can be particularly helpful because like I said, I call this show sports on the spectrum for a reason. It's because sports specifically played a huge role in helping me as somebody with autism deal with that challenge in a more effective and a fun way, honestly. And I mm -hmm. feel that a lot of, there are a lot of other people out there who would find that sports specifically can make a huge difference in helping them deal with whatever other similar challenges they're dealing with. Yeah, and that's absolutely. why I think this is so important to talk about here. Yeah. So, yeah. And the questions are great to actually, you know, in terms of the way you're laying it out is it really kind of um, creates a lot of thought. And yeah. I think that's why your program and this, what you're on um, in terms of the delivery of this program is so outstanding. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely try to make my questions trigger the mind just like they do for me. Because Good. here's the, because like I said earlier, one of the things, about having autism, I find is most helpful is if people can say it to me the right way, it triggers my mind in a lot yep. of effective ways. So I guess what I'll do now is I'll ask you 
I'll close and ask you the question that I ask everybody I've had so far on the show um, at the end, which is that, you know, we talked about this. It's and it's and it's a great question to ask last too, by the way, because it, it it covers everything we talked about in a sense. You know, we talked about how a lot of progress has been made on uh, this area. You know, a lot of people are way more open about it. A lot of people are more willing to talk about it. There's been more research done about how to treat it, how to deal with mm -hmm. it, you know, whether it be sports or medication or something else, whatever. It's like there's more knowledge of what these types of challenges are and how to deal with them. Um, but with that, there still exists a stigma that we talked about that can exist yeah. in some people where they're more hesitant to talk about it. They refuse to talk about it, you know, or they just feel scared or whatever, or they don't even know. It's, it's, it can be anything. And so as a result, I'd like to ask you if there was anything you wanted somebody listening to this podcast who may uh, qualify in that field of people who either are uneducated or, you know, just uh, uh, hesitant or whatever, refuse to be open about something like this. It's like, what do you want them to know um, that maybe will allow them to understand or appreciate just everything we've talked about more, you know? Well, I mean, I, I hope everybody's takeaway. It's a process for people sometimes because people, you know, empathy is a hard thing. We see that all the time, yeah. um, especially now. And um, the culture doesn't, doesn't always support that. But what I just try to, the, the message is a pretty simple one is people need to be open-minded and it's a message that I give to kids, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated right? and start to assume that there's things about someone you may not know. I mean, sometimes, you know, we'll find out someone's having a terrible day. You know, if somebody is, that's my son, yep. um, you know, uh, he had a thought, but um, <laughs> he's happy. Uh, yeah, there you go. He's happy. Sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll meet somebody for the first time and, oh, you know, that person just lost a family member. So the one thing is just generally is try to be understanding that you don't know what's going on with anybody. You know, you can't just assume that someone's behavior is directed at you. That's not, there's not circumstances behind it, but they might have, you know, something they could have a diagnosis that you would never understand. So try to understand, you know, don't give up on not understanding or not relating because the bottom line is, is, is that when you work with people, when you compete with people, when you attend school with people, there's going to be quality people around you that you're going to, it's, it's going to take a little bit of work to understand. Don't, don't ever write anybody off, but I just tell people to try to always be open-minded and aware that the differences in people sometimes go to a space that you won't know anything about that you'll have to educate yourself about, you know, when you're dealing um, or, or in communicating with somebody who might, you know, have autism that right. it can't be a matter of judgment. You got to, you got to learn their story. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I want people to understand. And I've spent a lot of time learning that and then learning stories and yeah. growing to understand that I always want to be aware and I make my mistakes too, but I try to get these young people, especially don't, don't judge. If you have questions for me, but be open-minded, just like you'd want people to be open-minded about you. If you had something going on and you don't want people to judge you on your worst day ever, or after your most emotional moment or after, you know, whatever, it's like, I, I think, I think it's really critical you know, again, we talked about at the beginning, whether it's, it's, it's anything that's, that's related to um, something atypical or mental illness or something. It isn't. You said it was a stigma. You're right. Everybody treats physical, um, you know, physical. Uh, if, if, if there's the absence of physical wellness, it's easy. Go to the doctor. If you have, if you have a, a disease, you get treated. But right. if you have something going on that's diagnosed and it's, it has to do with you know, it's behavioral or it has to do with, you know, that you're neuroatypical or not neurotypical. People don't regard that the same way. So I just try to tell people, be open and be, be aware, be understanding and show empathy because um, it's just a general rule that's good for everybody. But in particular, in this space we are talking about today, I try to tell, just don't, you know, don't judge and ask questions and, and let us help you learn so you can grow from this. Um, you know, that's kind of the principle I've worked with. Treat people as you want to be treated. If you don't know what's going on, assume or draw a conclusion or something you don't know and give the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what you mentioned right there, it, it perfectly eclipses one of the two phrases that I try every day to live by, which is don't judge a book by its cover and, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. The golden rule yeah. right there. It's yeah. like those to me eclipse so much of what I want to be 
in life. It's like, I want to be a person who is willing to accept others and is willing to accept himself. It's, it's like, there's yeah. no more epitome to that. And another phrase I live by too, as a way to kind of achieve that is it's nice to be nice. You know, it's like, be kind, be, be helpful to other people. It's like, you'll achieve so much from that. So I, I yeah. just think it, it all comes down to just, you know, if you can do that kind of stuff, the rest takes care of itself. And you just, you, you find yourself living a life that's much more enjoyable, much more fun, and just much more useful to achieving bigger things, you know, achieving the things you want to achieve from day one. It's like it doing these kinds of things can make all the difference in the, in that, in that achievement. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's well put. And, and I, I, I take a page from that because it, it's, you know, in the end, working to be a good person helps people stay true to themselves. You know, I see people struggle because they're just not, they, they don't put the effort in. I try to educate young people and say, Hey, you know, you'll feel better about yourself and you'll grow more as a person if you actually go through this process as opposed to just looking out for yourself and not caring. So it's, it's, it's a task for some, but it's, it's a message we try to make kids understand because, you know, you said it, you said it really well. Yeah. I mean, listen, man, I absolutely totally agree with you. And I just like to say before we go, what you and the rest of the people at new roads are doing is absolutely awesome. You know, I wish I could be with you guys, but I know what you're doing is really helpful, really important. And I fully support you in, in that uh, journey and just uh, continue, wish you continue prosperity in that regard. And I guess I'll, I'll, I'll briefly ask uh, one more time quickly, is there anything you're left thinking uh, from this conversation? And is there anything you think could be useful to talk about in the future? Yeah, um, well, for one, I think it's, I, like I said earlier, I think it's great that you have this format, this, this platform. Um, and I would hope that this becomes uh, what I would do is I would want more people. And, and, and you know, as, as your dad might have said, I'm actually exiting New Roads. I'm about to, to move mm-hmm. on. Um, I have a job opportunity in San Diego and maybe another to choose from. But I, I was transitioning out. Um, I just wanted to get my family to another part of the world. But right. um, I think having an opportunity to see what you're doing and to see what your program addresses is something that should be on a wider scale. Uh, I, I think the way you do this, um, with your history and your openness, something that, you know, I would, I would encourage people I know to, to, I'm going to share your, you know, your website. I want people to watch your podcasts. I appreciate Um, that, man. I I want your viewership to go up. I want, um, you know, I want the, uh, your tutor guy to get more business. And, um, that's a side thing, but thank you. (laughs) No, I look either way. I mean, and your first, both your sponsors, I want, I want them, I want them to have a, I want you to have an audience base that they see, Whoa, the phones are ringing. Um, (laughs) we're getting emails, but I think, I think just what I, what I take away from this, I think it's so great that you've taken the space to do this. Um, and your unique approach to it is really very cool. So for me, I'm, I'd like to make sure that I I share this because I think, that many more people should be tuned into you, your story and your approach to having, having everybody engage. I think it's a very healthy um, and organic approach to having these discussions. Well, listen, man, thank you for all that. And I'll say this too quickly, you know, I don't know if I'm the first and honestly, if I'm the first nice, but here's the thing, regardless of whether I'm the first or not, I don't want to be the last person who does this, you know, I just want to be somebody who helps make it grow. That's all I want from this, you know, because the fact of the matter is if I can make it grow, you know, even if maybe in the end, I don't achieve much in it, in my, in itself, like if my viewership doesn't go up or whatever, or it's like, I don't get a million subscribers by the end of my lifetime. As long as I know that I've made this grow into something a lot, lot bigger, even if in the end, I don't get credit for it, I'll know I've done something. And that to me is the most important thing. So yeah. It's a great lesson to take away because in the end, if you've done something to help people, whether you're getting credit or not, but what you're doing, I, I'll give you credit for because this is, I, I'm blown away. I, I, you know, when your dad came to me and, and, and contacted me, I was like, this is, this is quite a format. And I had a chance to look it up and I'm like, I'm thrilled to be part of this. I really am. Um, my experience aside, this is, this has been a real pleasure. And um, hey, by the way, are you, um, where, what's your next stop? I mean, you're, are you, where are you going next? I mean, school-wise. What's do you have your destination set? Oh, well, um, currently I'm attending a Pacifica Christian High School. Right. Um, and so I you're be, a senior. 
Well, I'm a junior now, but I'll be a senior oh, next year. I got it. I was, yeah. I had you a year off. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, okay. yeah, I haven't picked yet, but I'm, I'm deciding. So it's like, okay, I, I will make sure that I make a wise choice and I will make sure to let you know when I make that choice too. Yeah. I'd like to know, but in my mind, I had you down as a 12th grader and maybe mm-hmm. the lapsed time and I've lost track of everything this in, last year. In fairness to you, felt. in fairness to you, I should be a 12th grader. I spent an extra year in preschool, so. I should probably be a 12th grader. Go back and do, I want to do, I want to do over. Um, no, um, but anyway, well, good. I'll want to know when you, when you go, because wherever your next stop is, you're going to excel. That I know. Absolutely. I appreciate that, man. I will mm-hmm. make, I will definitely keep that with me, but I, I guess I'd just like to say, Matt, thank you so much again for being with us tonight, for sharing your insights and stories with our audience. I think they learned a lot. I certainly did. And I think this is going to be a great uh, builder in the continued path towards uh talking about this more and learning about it more so uh thank you for that i also want to say thank you to our subscribers and listeners for joining us today if you're looking for more great content then please go to our website at www.sportsonthespectrum.net and then for all of you out there please make sure to follow my three rules of life which are stay safe have fun get dirty and i will see you all on the next episode of sports on the spectrum